0: The following program is brought to you by the Humble Farmer Bed and Breakfast in Saint George, Maine. Thank you for listening your buddy Humble here. One morning my dentist and I talked about sugar. I went without sweets for nine years, but started eating cake and pine and cookies again last September, and since then my teeth have taken a pound in with this sugar. My dentist said that three things are needed to make a cavity. One, sugar. Two, a tooth. And I've forgotten the third thing. But after writing a check for $322 to have one tooth filled, I wondered if I should go back to giving up sweets. You know, I was able to live without pie, cake, cookies, bacon, sausage for nine years. I I know I could do it again. The only bad thing about not eating sweets, listen to this, the only bad thing about not eating sweets is that when you give up nibbling, you lose weight. I was down to a 139 pounds. No, no, I wasn't dieting. All I did was give up sweets, you know, so I could tie my shoestrings again. Well, actually, I could bend over to tie them. I just couldn't get back up again after I had them tied. And anyway, when I did this I automatically wasted away to skin and bones. Last September, I thought it'd be nice to get back up to 150 or so, so so I started picking out on cookies and pie and cake again. But in spite of water picking after every meal and flossing and brushing and acting and all that stuff, I still had a three hundred and twenty two dollar cavity. So Right now I am very tempted to give up eating sweets because the minute I do, listen to this, the minute I do I'm gonna slide right back down to an uh, anemic 139 pounds. And what mature man wants to have the body of a 19 year old boy?
1: Hi there, this is Clark Terry here Reminding you to pull your best skins A little closer to the fire That's it <laughs> now you're talking to you talking right, Watch out for those snapping sparks Everybody cozy Now the good news is that you're in time For the humble farmer You've worked hard all day You deserve to relax now So stay right there And listen to the best of this kind of music Thank <laughs> you. I just well with pride, my girl was by my side. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I began to shout. I told the crowd what I was proud to hallelujah about. Fill your eyes full of that. I'm not talking to my hat. Everybody loves my girl. Take a look, ain't she smart? Don't look, like she'll break my heart. Everybody loves. What a voice what a voice just like a bird she can say anything still she never spoke to lucky what a neck like a swan that's a neck that a mechagon everybody loves my girl
0: Ted Weems, everybody loves my gal. These, I'm going to be playing some Ted Weems for you today. That's about 19, 1927, even before my time. Before, Before we started to get some much-needed rain here on the coast of Maine, I got in two hollows of squash. One yellow and the other named after. I remember, it has to do with husbands. Spineless. I I had prepared a place for more radishes. I was all set to drop in the seeds when it started to rain. Much needed rain. I prepare... I prepare... (laughs) I prepare the soil for radishes thus. I impregnate the soil with red-hot, fresh-off-the-field cow nutrients, sprinkle it here and there, and work it in with my three-pronged weed digger, thing that has a four-foot handle on it. Then I take a pine board about eight foot long and three inches wide, and I lay it on the ground and wiggle it back and forth, slide it back and forth, until I've made a groove in the earth an inch or so deep. This gives me a straight, smooth V-groove, in the earth in which to drop radish seeds and I drop them in about an inch apart. Saves thinning, you know. And then, I use an antique coal sifter to sift soil on top of that, and the small stones I collect go into a five-gallon bucket, and my brother puts these small stones in his driveway. Every year, as I cart off gallons of small stones, my garden, of course, sinks lower and lower into the lawn. Anyway, then I put the board over the row flatways, and walk on it. And this gives me a groove about one inch deep and three inches wide that will hold the water when I water it. And by the time it gets warm enough to plant down here on the coast of Maine, because summer's almost over, but the dirt, week or so ago anyway, it finally got warm here, and it, it is, it is powdered dry. The soil is powdered dry. I've been watering my rhubarb to beat the band, and my rhubarb loves it. Rhubarb loves to be drenched, you know, with a lot of cold water. When it it dries out, it gets soft, gets flaccid. It's unfit for consumption, and I'd better play something for you. Django here on The Humble Farmer. I got thinking, I, I recently read a book by Roger Mudd. The name of the book was The Place to Be and he told how before Eric Severide would go on the air he'd he'd have this glass of warm water that he would slowly sip. And of course you're not supposed to have milk before you go on the air because it, it, it makes you hoarse. I don't know how to circumvent this. I, I can't Make a radio program. I can't talk to you unless I'm jacked right up on a cup of coffee. And, of course, I have to have milk in it. Anyway, I haven't uh, put in a real garden this year. I want to talk about gardens. I, I don't know why. Yes, I do. It was simply too cold to put in a garden. On the 8th of July, it was 62 degrees here on the coast of Maine. And, of course, that didn't count the rain and fog and the wind chill factor. Here on the coast of Maine, when you do have a few warm days in a row, long about the end of May, you suddenly feel like getting out and putting in a garden. But, but that did not happen this year. Every year, but this one, this is the first year I haven't done it. Every year but this one, I've put in 40 or so squash plants, 30 or so hollows of cucumbers, or big garden, a lot of stuff. But one day here, the temperature did soar up to 65 degrees, and sweat was pouring from my muscular torso, i got to say it, as I extirpated weeds, you know, to prepare the soil. And it's right about then that you realize that you really should go back into the house and take off your snowmobile suit. Yes, now that the days are getting shorter and winter is on its way, summer has finally come to the coast of Maine, and you can start to think about putting in your guide in.
1: Be delighted and feel the same as me if someone introduced him to you. It's the first time we've met. He's the kind you can't forget. He's tall, dark, and handsome. Though I don't know his name or the place from whence he came, he's tall and dark and handsome. He had that brand of kisses you'd adore. I never thought they kissed that way before. He's the type that makes you feel that he's too good to be real. He's tall and dark and.
0: First time we met. Thank you for listening to Humble Farm. I'm a real person, by the way. This is a real radio program. It's made by a real person. When I first did the math to put a shower stall in our upstairs bathroom, I saw that a custom-built shower was feasible. You couldn't buy anything small enough to fit in there, but I could make one. I saw it could be done. It would fit nicely in the allotted space I had. Now, we're talking here about what used to be a tiny closet in a house that was built in 1811. Not much space. People didn't have bathrooms when this house was built. But then I realized that once you got into this tiny shower stall that would fit in there, it would be like, well, it'd be like being enclosed in a metal culvert. The time you closed it around you it'd be so small that once you got in it, Your arms would be pinned to your sides and and you really wouldn't be able to wash your body. Garner here on The Humble Farmer. With any luck at all, you know, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time right here on your favorite station. Thank you again for listening. And now, with my best Eric Severide voice, I'm going to tell you about this email I got. It said, the health benefits of 1,000 bottles of wine in two tiny pills. <laughs> yeah, that's what the email said. The health benefits of 1,000 bottles of wine in two tiny pills. Now, think about this. You you might not believe this, but I know some people who would rather get those health benefits by drinking the 1,000 bottles of wine. Weems from years and years and years ago. Well, 1929, yeah, even even before my time, 1929. A friend of mine is home from a week in the hospital. You'll be glad to hear that. because course, the first thing he did was fill out their questionnaire on what he thought of the hospital. His only comment was, "'If you ever plan to shove that tube down my nose again,' You'd better have bigger people there to install it and a lot more of them.
2: your kicks on Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66.
0: Natalie Cole. I recently read that A third major factor that relates to life expectancy is income. Isn't that interesting? In a recent study based on data from 2001 to 2014, researchers found that the average life expectancy for the richest men in the United States is approximately 87 years, which they say is about 15 years longer than the poorest. And then this the U.S. average of 79.68 years currently ranks 43rd relative to the rest of the world. Although countries with longer life expectancies may not be as large and diverse as the United States, it is important to ask why. For such a rich country... The United States' life expectancy is relatively low, particularly compared to other developed nations. Now, the answer caught into to the CDC, whatever that might be, is threefold. Drug overdose, gun violence, and car crashes. Get that right out of the way. And because you've asked me for my opinion, I'll tell you that I think that the richest men have better access to doctors. Figured that one out all by myself. They're likely to be better educated, too, and perhaps have less stress. And as you know, stress kills more than anything. I was looking for figures, but I couldn't find them that would tell me how long an 80-year-old man could expect to live, because I'd like to know that. The older you are, as I recall, the better the chances that you live another 5, 10, 3, 4, 18 years. Now, you know what I'm talking about here. I've seen those figures, but I can't find them. For example, if you're 90, you stand a chance to live in Oh, I don't know what, three more years, something. If you're eighty, you stand a chance of living what, seven more years? Can you find those figures? I'm the humble farmer at gmail.com and anything you can say to encourage me would be appreciated. weems from three or four hundred years ago when? No, when was that? Here we are nineteen, nineteen twenty-eight. 1928, for heaven's sakes before my time I know nothing about calories I boast to you, I know nothing about calories I have lived happily for 80 years without knowing about calories I do know, however that when I stopped eating pie, cake, cookies, ice cream such, I wasted away to skin and bones, there was nothing left of me So be careful if you do this. I did not diet. I don't believe in dieting. All I did was, well, I just stopped eating pie, cake, ice cream, banana bread, and all these other good tasting things. Guess what happened when I did? Yes, my gut faded into obscure room. However, had I eaten only one cookie a week, I would not have turned into this human skeleton that I did. You know that you can tell your friends that you don't pig out on sweets, but your body knows if you eat one cookie. Oh, yes. There's no fool in your body. No matter how late at night you sneak a cookie, and no matter how dark it is in the corner where you you eat that cookie, your body knows about it. There are blessings in this world, and not knowing about calories is one of them, and not knowing about your Facebook feed Well, that's another one. Those of us who are ignorant of the way things work have two less things to think about, because then we can think of happier things like Father Hines and Joe Venuti. I think Father Hines wrote there, Father Hines, Jovenuti there. Do you use Facebook? You know, for some of us, Facebook is a valuable tool. One morning, I woke up with the first two lines of a limerick in my mind. There once was a doctor named Murray whose hands were incredibly furry. Stopped. I, I couldn't do any more. I. But I posted these two lines on my Facebook page, and within minutes, Mike, who lives over in Spruce Head, Mike posted the last three lines. I I edited his lines a little bit, and I came up with this. There once was a dentist named Mary, whose hands were incredibly furry. As she fondled his chin, she said with a grin, I wear rubber gloves, so don't worry and now i'm able to offer this up to you today as a typical example of main artistic endeavors how we all work together work together to make something so please please don't tell me that there is no use for facebook
1: Rap. I love the way they slap that grown-up baby today. Do I fall for the little fiddle man? Not at all. But I'm off my noodle when someone is slapping the bass. On my soul, I'm as as can be self-control. Never have it when I see someone a on the bass. It may look out of place in a swell organization. But folks without a bass, there isn't a bit of foundation. Oh me, oh my, but it's pleasing to the ear and I fly, Right to heaven when I hear someone a slap on the bass.
0: 1930, Ted Weems slapping the base. There's a small waste basket beneath the sink in the upstairs bathroom in my house. And because in 1970 I asked my father to put a bathroom in a farmer closet, why, the bathroom is small in this 1811 house, and there's no room on the wall for a rack for the toilet paper although now that I think about it, I, I suppose I could attach it to the door. But at present, the way its things are today, the toilet paper lives on top of the water tank of the toilet. And the other day, my wife, Masha, asked me if I knew that I had thrown the roll of toilet paper into the waste basket. Think about this. What are the ramifications? Well, either... I have reached the age where I am unaware of some of my actions or my beautiful young trophy wife, Masha, is weaving a web of fantasy that will pave the way for my eventual premature commitment. Stay tuned. And thank you for listening. Putting off plastering a wall, and this was easy an easy task to put off because I have no idea of how to plaster a wall. By, by looking in my computer one day, I discovered that 9.74% of our income goes to Walmart for food, and I was surprised to see that it was that much. Walmart's biggest customer base must be the people with the lowest incomes. I know people who are so financially secure that they can afford to pay more for their groceries and do buy them elsewhere. You know this is true. The really rich buy organic food at farmers' markets. Oh, yes. There are oblique ways of boasting about your affluence. One way is to casually mention that you hate to pay your income tax. Oh, I have a wicked big income tax. Another way to boast of your affluence is to casually let slip that you never buy food at Walmart. <music>
1: get so excited, I can hardly think. I get got a mouthful of soap suns, but they taste good to me. As long as the sweetie's by my side, doing the dishes with me. Now there's no moonlight or a June night, but I'm telling you, I get lovin' near the oven, when there's dishes to do. We do things and we have not a we hold hands, underneath the water washing dishes with my sweetie, and kitchen sink. Still, i have never blue. I'm not
3: fretting.
0: I get petted when there's dishes to do. Knives and forks and spoons never hinder. Pots and pans go out of the window. Washing dishes with my sweetie and kitchen sink. Dum 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 dum. I'm wearing my David Conn smile. Right now, I'm smiling like David. David Conn is my favorite person to watch on television. He always has his big smile. I can't do it. How do people have this smile? What are they smiling about? Anyway, do you think in quantitative terms, I'm going to try and smile when I read this. One of Marsha's friends, my wife Marsha, one of her friends replied to Marsha's letter with this. We live in close quarters, a 1,300-square-foot condo in a former church. Now, I do understand that one gets square feet by multiplying length by width, so their place is ten feet wide and a hundred and thirty feet long. I don't know. Have, have you ever been to a house? I have no idea how wide our house is or how long it is. The only time you'd need to know anything like that would be, well, when you were going to cut down a spruce tree to saw into a six-by-six six to replace the rotted sills on the north side. Does a 1,300-square-foot condo mean anything to you? When I listen to this, when I really want to confuse people, I tell them that we live in an area about the size of the reading room at Harvard Law School.